is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. We give Pastor King a warm welcome. He's going to be bringing us the word this morning. Good morning, everybody. Are you guys glad to be at church today? Now, listen, I have to do some confessing before I get started. It was a rough Thanksgiving. Lots of food. Did very little. And the worst part is, forgot my belt today. So it looks like I couldn't put my belt on. I had a lot of questions about why is there no belt. And so we were in our pre-service tag-in, and I said, guys, I need a belt about, you know, the, the about size 30. And we... I got nods, and then finally I said, well, 32, and then it just, it kept going up. I couldn't find a belt, so you'll have to just bear with me. It has been a great Thanksgiving, hallelujah, amen. But uh, we, we, are, we are enjoying, man, what a great service, Communion Sunday. Are you thankful for the blood and body of Jesus? Today has been already an amazing day, and I'm excited to share this day with our church family. A lot of great things happening. Uh, again, I want to invite all of our Dream Team uh, volunteers this Friday. Be here, 7 o'clock. We're going to have a huge meal. And if you are joining the Dream Team for 2016, you're also uh, welcome to be here. It is, it's the best night of the year. You're going to love it. We're going to have so much fun. We want you to be a part of that with us. Amen? All right, let's get into the Word. John chapter 13. Today, my subject and my title are very simple. It is communion. Everyone say communion. I'm going to be reading out of the book of John chapter 13. It is the longest discourse on the subject and the story of communion in the New Testament. There's a lot of detail in the book of John where John uh, unpacks certain conversations, certain reactions. Uh, we get a little bit of understanding of, of, of the Judas story. I mean, what a, what, a, what a moment where Jesus is just hours away from being betrayed, hours away from, from being falsely accused and taken by force, hours away from uh, one of his, his main dudes, one of the top 12 in his arsenal is going to sell him out, and yet he's, he's compelling them to come together to have this sacred moment together called the Last Supper, or we call it communion. So I'm going to just kind of go through a few verses here to highlight kind of the things we want to unpack today. And at the end of the service, we are going to receive communion together. We do have in the seat pockets in front of you a little communion cup. It has a little wafer all ready for you. If you're on the front row, our ushers will uh, bring up the communion cups for you. And then if you're not comfortable taking communion, we totally understand. But we'd love for you to stay in the service with us. Something powerful happens in a body, in a church, in an assembly when we take communion together. So we'd love for you to share in that experience. John chapter 13 and verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, this is Jesus, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Skipping down to verse 35 and verse 36. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Let's bow our heads. Let's open our hearts. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, that your word, which is seed, would fall into good ground, our hearts, and bring forth fruit. I pray, God, that you would give us revelation and wisdom and insight according to your will today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody, would you say... Amen. God bless you. I'd like to start this message with a very simple question. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Now, maybe there's many answers running through your head right now. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. Maybe grandma begged you, bribed you. Maybe your parents pulled you by the ear and got you here. And we're glad they did. We're glad you're here. But there, there has to be more to the essence of our assembly, our congregating. It's not guilt management. Many come to church because of guilt management. They, 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 they live uh, in the workplace all week long. They live like the devil on the weekend and on Sunday morning try to come and fix that. Uh, some come for the free coffee and the music, and I'm telling you, the free coffee's great, and the music's amazing. Yes. But it has to be more than that. God designed this thing called the church, the assembly, the called out ones. It's his design. And I, as I'm looking at communion, and I think of the word community, as we commune together, and I, and I think of the, the high calling that you and I get to partake of, this thing called the church that Jesus loves and he died for and he's, he's coming back for, the church. I think of what the church supplies and what it provides. Number one, there are three poverties that are in the world today. There is a monetary poverty, a financial poverty. Number two, there is a spiritual poverty, the, the poverty of the soul. But number three, there is what we call a relational poverty that's in the world. Now, if you let me know who your friends are and who your fellowship is, I can tell you your future by your friends who you hang around, who you commune with, who you're involved with, who you speak with, who you cross-pollinate with. And one of the things that we find in the earth today is a great need for the right kind of fellowship. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Proverbs chapter 13 and 20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and 
get in trouble. Thank you, Brother Solomon. Very simple there. Psalms 1 and 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. We have to look carefully. We have to look carefully at who our fellowship and our community is, who's influencing me. Now, the world today is lonelier than ever, even though we have tons of social media and we have so many ways to connect with people. The world is lonelier than ever. In 1985, social scientists were blown away when they did a study to see how many intimate friendships the average person in the world had today. And it they came to find out that, the, that people have an average of three very, very close intimate friendships. In 2004, same group uh, looked again. In 2004, that number was down from three to two. And they suspect that number to go very soon, possibly if not already, down to one. That true relationships are being eroded. That people don't know how to truly relate to one another. Or they get connected into unhealthy, uh, dependent uh, relationships that are not based out of health and virtue. There are reasons for this decline. Number one, increased mobility. The average family moves every five years, not planted in the same community, same city, same area. Number two, modern conveniences. And I'm not complaining about modern conveniences, but before AC, the house would get warm at about 2 o'clock. People were outside on the porch, outside in the front yard. People were out mingling. Now, after get AC, now we have man caves and living rooms, and you can push a little button, and your garage door opens. You go right in. You don't have to say hello to anybody. Uh, an invention called the answering machine. Anybody have an answering machine still? I haven't seen one of those in a long time. There's a few people that still have an answering machine. I remember when the answering machine first came out, it was like gloves were off and me and my sisters were fighting to be able to be the one who left the message on the answering machine and now for the first time you didn't have to run to the phone and grab it and answer now you can just let the answering machine take the call and then this beautiful brilliant idea of caller id remember when that first came out and you could look at it and be like nah what a moment we could screen calls. We could decide who to pick up on and who not to pick up on, et cetera, et cetera. Number three, social media creating virtual relationships. 400 people following you, 90 likes on your, on your uh, picture or your selfie. And epic, uh, there's now an epic deferred loneliness that is happening. People think that they have relationship, but they do not have relationships. Uh, one of my favorite litmus tests for how good of a friend I am with you is if I can go into your house and go into your refrigerator without asking. Isn't that one of the litmus tests where you could just walk in? Do you have people like this in your life that just come in? And then there's some people that don't have that social etiquette, and, and so like it's their first time over, and, you know, you put them at the chair closest to the front door, and you're talking and then as you get to know people, you know, it's like coming to the kitchen. Before you know it, I mean, they're sitting on the counter and you're talking and chopping it up. But, but your first time in someone's home, you don't just walk by them, bypass them, go into the kitchen and open the refrigerator and get a soda or a pickle. You don't do that. That's just uncouth. But when you get to know people, it's like there's a familiarity that happens and, 
and, and this connection, and, and, and I've got, uh, I was in the first service, Felicia and Pug, I was talking about them for years, like we just for years didn't have television up until like two years ago because I was tired of going to their house and falling asleep on their Lazy Boy, so I was like, I'm going to watch football on Sunday night at 5 o'clock, so we got the basic package, but until then, two years ago, that's where I went, and you could find me on Sunday, go to their house, open the refrigerator, get a Coca-Cola, and I'd be out for about three hours on their Lazy Boy. And finally, um, they talked me into getting my own package. Hallelujah. They assisted me in that process. I'm not sure if that was a help or a, uh, I'm not sure how to process that, but that's another story for another day. But, but, but connections and relationship, and it's in us. And God looks at a man named Adam, and he says, it's not good for you to be alone like, you can't do this on your own. What I've called you to do and what I've, what I've proclaimed as your calling and your obligation, you can't even do it alone. It's impossible. It's going to require relationship. In fact, the only thing that survived the garden was relationship. And when we look at our world, and especially North America, we find that the world is becoming more and more individual or individualism is becoming stronger and greater and greater versus collectivism. In fact, I just a couple weeks ago read this amazing study that they did with children. They're always studying children. And they got a bunch of children that were from North America, and they put them in a room. And they got children that were from Asia, the greater Asia, and that's the Orient and the other parts of Asia. And they said, we're going to have you pick a puzzle. And there's about seven or eight choices of puzzles. And then we're going to have you pick a marker. And there was seven or eight different colors, and we're going to let you pick the puzzle and the marker, and you're going to finish this, um, this, this puzzle, and we want to see how you do. So they go through it, and the kids from North America you know, did really good, and the kids from Asia did a little less good. But then they switched the scenario with the next group, and they said, okay, this time uh, your mother has picked out out of all of these this puzzle, and your mother's also picked out uh, this marker. Well, the North American kids, their performance went way down. And the kids from Asia, their performance went way up because they love the idea that someone else made the choice for them. They love the idea that they weren't just doing this for them. They were doing this for somebody else where the American kids, they were thriving and they were working super hard whenever it was their choice. They were the ones who did it. And if you notice in America, we celebrate those lone wolves, those, those champions, those lone rangers who do it by themselves. They, they climbed the ladder. They, no one was helping them. But is this really Christianity? Is this really how Jesus designed it, that you somehow are going to kind of pull your way through this and you're going to barely get through the, the, the finish line by yourself? You're just going to press through and you're going to do it by yourself and we're going to all be going, wow, how did they do it? Look at them all by themselves. Is that what Jesus really designed? In fact, I would submit to you that to be completely independent is to be completely unchristian, that this is not what and how Jesus designed his church. Acts chapter 2 and 44 says this. Watch this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, opening each other's refrigerators, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
There is no revival outside of relationship. There is no great some kind of revival coming and harvest coming to the world outside of what the basic 101 of the church is, and that is eating together and being together and loving one another and caring for each other. And yet even as I say this, you're going, yeah, that's great. That's true. I believe that. I agree with that. But it's much harder to put handlebars on that and put wheels and pedals on that because we know what we should do, but how do we do it? There was a study done several years ago in Princeton Theological Seminary, and they put this study together. They said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to have this class learn the story of the Good Samaritan. How many here knows the story of the Good Samaritan? There was like this guy going from Jerusalem to, uh, to Jericho, and he falls among thieves, and he's beat up real bad. He's on the side of the road. And later on, a Levite comes by, a religious dude, and he goes, well, I can't help him. He steps over and walks on back up to Jerusalem. And then another guy, a priest, comes by and goes, mm, and he looks the other way, and he goes on. But a Samaritan, who is like, like this guy who, he's uncouth, he, he's one of those dudes that doesn't have his theology right, he stoops down, helps this man, uses his oil and wine to, to heal up his wounds, puts the man on his own beast, inconveniences himself, takes him to an end, pays for the man so he can stay at the end, and he says, anything extra that it costs, I'll come back and pay it. This is the story that Jesus told. So these scientists, these social scientists put this a study together, and they say, okay, we're going to have these students, however many, 100 students, we're going to have them learn this story. We're going to have them teach this story. We're going to have them go and check in at their class, and we're going to have them walk from their class to the hall where they're going to teach the study. What they didn't know was they were going to stage somebody on that path between their check-in spot and the hall where they're going to teach the story about the Good Samaritan with a man on that path who's on the side of the road hurting and wounded needing help. Because this makes sense, right? If you've been studying the Good Samaritan and you've been learning about helping your brother, you're on your way to go teach this story. Like you're going to stop and be like, whoa, deja vu. I need to help this guy. And of all the students that were learning and, and, and studying this story, going and checked in and on their way to the hall to go teach about the story of the Good Samaritan, less than 10% of them actually stopped to help the man on the side of the road needing help. Why? Because it's easier to know you should do it than to do it. We all could pass this mic around and say, we should do this, and Christianity should be better at this, and we all know, but when it comes down to brass tacks and it's time to help, why don't we do it? Why is it so hard for us to lean into community? Why is it so hard for us to, if like this good Samaritan, inconvenience ourselves for a moment to help someone who is in need. They said this data is too amazing. We have got to look beyond the data and we got to find out what was up with this less than 10%, maybe 9% that stopped. What was it about this group? And here's what they found as they looked more at the data. They found that that 9%, most of them were early to teach. The ones that passed, most of them, if not all of them, were in a rush to get there. It's not that they didn't have compassion, just they didn't have time. They were running to their class. They were running to the hall. They were just a little bit behind, but the ones who said, I got some time. The issue is we've, we've made our lives so busy. You can't add community into your world. You have to remove some things to add community into your world. It, it doesn't happen by accident. 
Being, being a part of a body, being a part of a community doesn't happen because you know, all the stars align and you get invited to a potluck and, and all these wonderful, beautiful friends come out of the woodwork. Hey, we want to be your friend and here's our number and we want to we make pies together. And Pies together? That's wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, and let's go golfing. I'm a scratch golfer. I want to teach you everything. And I've got some extra golf. Oh, my goodness. And this is just, just perfect. No, it's hard. It's work. It's about being intentional. It's about leaning into the body. It's about saying, you know what? God's put me into a body. God's put me into a community. And I've got to assume responsibility for this community. Watch this. Romans chapter 12 and 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Whoa. Let's stop right there. Each member belongs to all the others. Each member. I belong to you. Each one of us belong to this family, to this community. We belong to each other. What a thought because the individualism in me that I can do it. The Mr. Independent says, well, why can't I just do it my way? Why can't I just live for God my way? Why does, why does Christ keep forcing me into the church, into the body, into community? Why does he keep for, Why does the pastor keep asking about small groups and serving and getting connected? Same song, different verse. Thank you, Pastor Chad, for that. There's a reason for it because you will be your best in community. You will discover more about yourself and your God-given call in community. We've done a disservice to Christians by saying, oh, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. And I agree that it is. But you've never had a relationship. And you've never had a walk until you really walk in community with the Lord. That's the next level. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. I believe God's raising up a church that knows how to love one another. That's passionate about serving one another. He said there's one body, many members. Maybe you're a toe. Maybe you're an ear. Maybe you're an eyebrow. You're the best eyebrow you can ever be. God bless the eyebrows and the eyelashes. Many functions, people with functions. God designed you a specific way. Now one of the things that we understand is, is that the member cannot live without the body, but the body can live without the member. It's not as strong. It's not as great. It will never reach its full potential, but it can live without the member. Um, hopefully in the last 24 hours or 48 hours, at some point you wash your hand, brush your teeth. Maybe you took a shower or a bath. That's great. Praise God. We're thankful for that. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible, but I like that a lot. It's a great statement. And uh, when you did one of those things, you lost hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of cells. And those cells are dead because they're no longer connected to the body. But the body's still alive. God has called us to be connected to the body. I need the body. Why? Because it's in the body where the life of God flows. Watch this. 1 John chapter 1 and 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. So if we're in the light, we have fellowship. 
We can just assume that. Like being in the light of God causes us to, and creates a proclivity in us to want to be in fellowship, to walk in fellowship, be a part of the body. And watch this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Why? The blood runs through the body. The miracles run through the body. The healing runs through the body. You know, they were, they were asking these questions, and I, I don't, I don't want to get mystical, but they're asking the question, why so many miracles overseas? Why so many stories from overseas? Ethiopia, Africa, South America, all these great stories and great miracles. Why do we see that? But in America, it feels like it's like you got to, it's like straining a gnat. You got to go on a 40 day fast and, and you're trying to like levitate and figure out the mind of God and be super spiritual to see like something happen. And we were all thinking that it was us. We were all thinking like, like if we could be more spiritual and have more faith. And yet, what we didn't understand is that these miracles were happening in communities. They were happening with people loving one another, serving one another, washing each other's feet, having true compassion and care for one another. I know this is a novel concept, but it's true that when we love one another, that's where miracles flow out. When we love one another, truly care for one another, when it's not just individualism about me, it's about my world, it's about self-preservation. It's not just about me. Whenever I open my heart to the community, something happens. Something changes in me. And some function in me, some anointing in me rises up when I'm connected truly to the body. I got to stay connected to the body. It's in the body where there's power. When we were born, we were completely dependent. Complete dependency on someone else. One of, the, one of the handful of mammals that when we're born, we, we can't walk, can't feed ourselves. There's some animals, like, they're born, and, like, within 60 seconds, they're, like, hunting. <laughs> Josh was born. I was like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> and, and, and discovered that it took a, several years before walking and talking and be, being able to be a little more independent. And then now he's 11. And, there, and it's about to be 12, and now there's this new independency. He's going from dependent to having his own ideas, his own thoughts, suggestions that I give. Now he's asking, why? <laughs> and, and I give the only answer I know to give. Let me ask your mother, why, why do, you know. And... And soon there'll be a day, I pray, where he will learn the greatest level of maturity, not being dependent, not being just independent, but interdependency, where he will be dependable. Someone can depend on him, and he can depend on someone else. That's what family's about. You know, I, there, I get more out of my family than my family gets out of me. I, I work hard, I, I, I'm faithful, I'm there, I'm trying to learn how to read kid books that don't make sense, but I'm doing it and, and getting kicked and scratched with mauling kids all over me in the bed, but we'll talk about that later, and, and I'm trying to get, but I'm getting more. There's an interdependency, and that's what true family's about. Like, I'm there for you, and you're there for me. I'm getting something from you. It's not independency, because independency is easy. I'm independent. I can do this on my own. It was never designed for you to do this on your own. And this is what Peter's problem was at that Last Supper. He said, Jesus, I can wash my own feet. 
I don't need this. And Jesus said, if you don't let this happen, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Don't be so independent, Peter, that you won't let me wash your feet. I can do it on my own. I know everyone here loves feet, right? Just love feet. I, I used to have great feet. I used to have feet that worked. And then I started trying to play basketball twice a week. And then I upped it to three times a week. And, 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 and that was, that, it's been great. But now I've got this thing that I discovered. I thought it was just like a sore on the side of my foot. And I go to find out. I open like the, the internet. I'm looking and I'm like, I have a corn. I am old. What is happening to me? So I won't even look at my feet anymore. I'm like, what is wrong with these things? And Jesus, like Jesus models this. He like stoops down. He takes his coat off. He takes the form of a servant and he begins to wash their feet. And he says, I want you to wash each other's feet. And God, that's gross. He's not talking about like we got to do foot washing all the time. What he's talking about is when we come together and keep coming together, keep, keep dining together, talking together, praying together. And when you come together, remember that life, we attract a lot of things. We have to walk through this world and our feet are going to get dirty and dusty. And we're going to pick up attitudes and we're going to pick up a bunch of stuff. And it's for us to wash one another and pour on one another so we can be cleansed in the body. There's something powerful that happens when the community comes together. And I can't believe I told you I have a corn. I just can't believe that. <laughs> My God. You know, if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have one of the most dysfunctional, most dysfunctional churches. I mean, there's no correction and direction. You got people who are following certain preachers. I'm of this preacher, I'm of that preacher. You got some guys who don't even follow a preacher. They don't, they don't want any ministry. They just, I, I just hear from Jesus. We got gifts of the Spirit running amok, people just speaking in barbaric languages to each other. You know, we have people prophesying out of order. We got people, pro, no, 10, 20 prophecies, and like, what is happening? But he says, look, here's what I've got to really fix. Like, Paul is going to deal with one of the biggest issues. He goes, look, guys, here's what we have to get right. You're doing communion all wrong. And I know that, that communion has always been like a sacrament, like a, like a ceremonial thing. We stop, we pause, we eat, we think about it, and we're going to do that, and, and I think that's right, and, and, and I believe in it. But communion is more than that. It's more than checking in, doing something, and walking out. Communion is truly being in communion with one another. It is coming together and opening our hearts and serving one another, loving one another, sharing with one another. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, you have, some of you come in with nothing and you leave with nothing. Some of you come in with all this. It's like your own potluck. You bring in food and you're getting drunk. And you're not even, you're, you're serving yourself. You're not serving the greater good. When you come together, let everybody have some. When you come together, it doesn't matter your class or your status. It doesn't even matter your age. When you start dividing yourself by these things, you're not having communion. You're looking at each other going, I can't connect with them. I can't. I, I discovered just the other day, 
One of the best friendships that's growing in our church right now is between someone, a lady in our church who's 56 years old and a young lady who's 28 years old. I saw them on Instagram hanging out at the beach. I was like, cool. I would have never predicted that. They're praying together, walking this walk of faith together. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't break it down because, uh, you know, age and, 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 and background. They came together and said, man, we want to we do life together. We want to walk this path together. When one of us is weak, the other one's going to be strong. We're going to stand with one another. This is communion. This is the Bible 101. And it's easier to do it the other way. And it's easier to just come to church, check in, get guilt management, come in, feel better, walk out, and not be committed to the body, not be committed to each other, not serve one another. That's the easy thing to do is walk out. The hard thing to do is to stop and look around and say, these are real people. These are real people. People, people that are new in faith, some running, some, some walking. Some trying to persevere, some, some trying to keep their head up. This is the body that Jesus baptized me into. You know, many years ago, they had a big problem in Monterey, California. The issue was this, is they had these canneries. And these canneries, these fishermen would go out and they'd bring their fish. And these canneries on Cannery Row, they would, they would clean the fish and throw the guts out. And all these seagulls would come and just eat the guts as they're being thrown out. Well, over decades, these seagulls didn't know how to fish. So one cannery closed after another, after another, after another. And finally, like the seagulls, they realized were dying because they weren't being fed because they forgot how to fish. And so they brought some experts in and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to have no seagulls in just a matter of weeks. What do we do? And so they decided we're going to ship in other seagulls. We're going to ship in seagulls who know how to fish. And that's exactly what they did. And I don't know about you, I'm not a crazy seagull fan. <laughs> but I was like, this is a cool story. And those seagulls began to fish and, 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 and began to eat. And the other seagulls were like, oh, that's how you do it. Mine, mine, mine. And then they, <laughs> they went and they began to fish. Problem solved. Why? Because they got around those who knew how to do it. And you'll never know until you get connected with someone who's been on this journey. You want to learn how to pray, get connected with someone who knows how to pray. You want to walk in the Spirit, get connected because your future is determined by your friendships and your fellowship. What fellowship does light have with darkness? God is constantly pushing us back into community. It was so important to Him that the Scripture says it like this. On the night... He was going to be betrayed. He went and had communion. He went and had supper with his guys. Man, I don't know about you. I'd be like pacing. You know you're about to get beat. A couple hours, you're about to be killed. Like I'd be worried. I'd be biting my nails. I'd be looking for a taxi to get out of Dodge. I'd be frustrated, mad. No one. I mean, Judas doesn't even know that Jesus knows at this point. Jesus could have been like tripping Judas. <laughs> Giving little hints. Yeah, 30, 30, 30 is a great number. Anybody have any silver around here? Any <laughs> silver? And he goes, here's what I want to do. I want to I come together. And while Judas is in the room, 
Jesus washes every one of their feet. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done or what you're going to do. Jesus shows us the greatest thing, how to serve one another. And that's why, and I'm coming to a close, John 13 and 35, it says this. A new command I give you. Love one another. Uh, Jesus, hold on, sorry. Um, We've heard that before. That's already in the Bible. You messed up on that. Can Can you reverse that? Uh, No, a new command I give you. No, no, we've heard that. We're supposed to love one another. That's not a new command. No, no, no. But here's the difference. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, in the Old Testament law, the law says don't murder. But the New Testament says love your brother. What's greater? Not murdering, I hate them, but I'm not going to touch them. Or learning to love that brother. What's greater, don't commit adultery? Okay, I'm not going to do it. Or being passionately in love with your wife or your spouse. What's greater? What's greater, you know, doing some good and, and making sure the corners of your field are for the, for the needy and and, and, and dividing up your increase and making sure everybody's got a Debbie or loving as Christ loved without hesitation, without reservation, without expectation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because of what you can do for me. I want to serve you because of who you are in Christ Jesus because he loves you this is my family this is the body that God baptized me into I can't do this alone I may not know you very well but he said this by this everyone will know that you are my disciples you know the litmus test for Christianity is not how long you can speak in tongues not, not how long you can go without saying a bad word when you're driving on the freeway. The litmus test for Christianity is on how many Bible verses you know. Because you can fake all that. But what you can't fake is how we love one another. You can't fake this. You, you can't fake self-sacrifice for the betterment of other people taking a a weekday out of your night and and, and taking a night out of your week and and, and saying I'm going to give this to a community taking an afternoon and going and visiting somebody in the hospital spending a little time with God praying over needs that you got on the prayer team spending a Sunday morning serving the body praying in the spirit being on assignment at work letting God direct you to talk with people you can't fake that you can fake it with all the extra stuff, but you can't fake it. You can fake it with the, with the bumper sticker, but you can't fake it when you start stopping on the road and you say, I want to help and I want to be a blessing and I want to glorify God's name. And whatever you give in his name, you will not lose your reward. So I'm giving 
Not for the reward, but because of what he first did for me. So it reminds me again of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, crippled, wounded, and now out of the kingdom. And David says, is there anybody of Jonathan's lineage that's still alive? Oh yeah, there's this young, he's kind of a runt. He's broken, his, his feet don't work, can't even walk. He said, that's the kind of guy I want at my table. And every day, Mephibosheth sat at the king's table and had fellowship with the king. Not because of anything he did, but because David said, I want to fill my table with those who I love. And I remember Jonathan and his love. We've been invited to the table of fellowship because of the work of Christ. And every time you pull up to that table, it's not because of anything you did. It's because of what he did. I'm not defined by what has happened to me. I'm defined by what has, been happen what has happened for me. And 2,000 years ago, Christ died for me. And gave me an invitation to come to the table of fellowship of the body of Christ. This body that is being awakened, ready for something great in the earth. You can feel it. You can sense it. You know something's changing. Something's happening. And the light of the church is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And while 2.7 million people every year in North America are walking first away from the church and then away from God, there are a people who are going to lean into community more, who are going to be connected arm in arm more, hand in hand more, and say, we're going to stand together. We're better together. If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Would you stand with me? At this time, we're going to prepare to receive communion together. The communion cups are in the seat pocket in front of you. And our ushers are going to come up to the front and service those who are on the front row. You can prepare by taking the bread, the wafer, out of its package. You can prepare by undoing the top with the juice if it's okay with the parents the children are welcome to partake of communion with us This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the whole body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. I wonder for the next few moments we can bow our heads and examine our hearts today before the Lord. That before we partake of the bread and of the juice, 
that we can open our hearts before God's presence and say, Lord, if there's any wicked thing in me, if I have despised your word, any evil thought, any evil deed, forgive me today. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to you. Today we repent of all of our sins again. We remember again your broken body and your blood that was shed for us. Only you, Lord, the only begotten of the Father, only you could cleanse us from sins, could redeem us back to God. Only you, because of your righteous, holy sacrifice. We don't just stand amazed. We stand in awe today, God. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace. And there's not one of us here that is worthy of your mercy and grace. But Lord, today we remember as we come together that as you've drawn us closer to you, you're also drawing us closer to each other. That we not only shouldn't do this alone, but we can't do this alone. That you gave your body on the cross so we could be one body. Your body was broken so we broken pieces could come together and be one in unity. Your blood was shed so we could be washed by that blood. Forgive me today for every evil thought, every evil word, and every evil deed. Search my heart, God. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow again through your mercies. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. According to Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Would you take of the bread and remember his broken body? After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. We can take of this cup. For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.